Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. And once again, I am Martin, and I have with me, he's the king of the casters. He is Mr. Brett Podcast. Brett, you as excited as I am to talk to today's guest? Well, always. I mean, I'm always excited to be here because uh, anytime we get to talk music is a good day. And today we have the guitarist for a, for a wonderful band. They're called Corvus Lore, and we have Eric. Eric, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy Friday to you, and I'm really excited to be on your show today. Well, we're excited to talk Blind and Broken. I mean, you've got uh, the new single, the new video. I mean, it's exciting times. It is, yeah. We, we, uh, we've we put together three videos for um, this upcoming album release, and I have to say that uh, progressively with each video, starting from Boxing Ballerina, uh, to romantic traffic, to to blind and broken. I think we keep upping the ante in terms of video filming difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that as I was watching the video, I thought this one looks interesting to have shot, like <laughs> like an interesting experience. I mean, I don't know yeah. if you guys are supposed to put the mud on the face and you know the water and everything, but I mean, it is my favorite song I've heard from you guys yet. Oh, I, I, you know what? I'll, I'll definitely take that back to the, uh, to the band, and yeah, the, the, uh, the video shoot uh, for Blind and Broken took about two days to film, uh, and it was just really divided up between scenes that were happening underwater versus the rest of the storyline that kind of takes place either in uh, the barn or at, at a, at a lake where we did kind of our lead actress falling into uh, the, the, uh, the pond shots. She's a trooper. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that's our lead actress, Avery Hawthorne, and uh, man, she just she really knew how to like uh, give facial expressions and do acting underwater. Which I'm not sure that was like a talent on her resume, but uh, <laughs> she got it. She got it from this video. Uh, the other cool thing I can tell you too is that she is a phenomenal artist. In fact. Um, when I'm blindfolded and playing the guitar underwater, she she painted that whole uh, uh, bird wing at the lower arch of the uh, the guitar body. Uh, oh wow, so, that's cool. That's very yeah, cool. multi talented. Multi talented, and you know it's a very intense song, very intense video. You know, I mean, capturing that intensity can't be easy when you're shooting a video, but you manage to do it. Right. Yeah, and the the uh the story behind uh capturing that intensity really came from our singer ryan jones he wrote the lyrics um and pretty much wrote the the, the entire music for this particular song um but he he painstakingly mapped out this video shot by shot before he gave it to the director so he, in his mind he already knew how he was gonna portray the lyrics and translate them to actual shots with the actors, starting with, um, you know, being covered in mud, his life, you know, full of sins and whatnot, and the uh, the, the transformation that he went through in life to to come clean. And and so those are kind of the, the two uh, divisions of the storyline there. Yeah, it is very interesting. I mean, you guys and your videos, like I've never seen a band that puts more effort into videos, especially nowadays, it feels like. 
<laughs> well, um, man, that that's a that's a great um, compliment, and we purposefully said we do not want our third video to be a performance video or just a band performing, you know, uh, by the railroad tracks or, or you know, in, in a studio somewhere. And so um, there's another way to look at our three videos, which I kind of find interesting, is that in video one, boxing ballerina, entire band inside of a boxing ring playing together. Video two, our singer Ryan is off on his travels. The band appears in certain spots. I do a, a fun gu a guitar solo on an airplane. And then by the time we get to the third video, there's some band shots and there's a lot of storylines. So I think we definitely run the gamut of of like um, uh, storyline options and, and just really trying to provide something more um, out of the ordinary for our audience. I was thinking back to that guitar solo on the plane. It's like, you look cool, but that can't be easy to look cool while you're walking backwards playing a guitar in a little airplane. Like, I mean, I don't know how you pull it off. I mean, for me, it would be too much pressure to look cool there. Well, you, Mo, the, um, the, that particular uh, plane was a 1964 Learjet. It exists out at the Charles Schultz uh, Air Museum in Santa Rosa, California. And um, the plane was a, a pretty much like maybe two inches taller than me or so. You, you had to crouch just a little bit. Our director, Mike, Mike Sloat, is, I believe, six foot four. And I would say he is the master of a wide angle lens because he was able to um, just really understand that space and be able to direct people and try to get a performance out of someone. And to your point, Mo, it's like I had to hold a guitar, cross through, you know, the, the, the alleyway there and, and still try to make moves and, and hopefully uh, make it entertaining. Uh, but yeah, the other thing I'll say about that particular shot too, we we were definitely were tipping the cat to uh, to Eddie Van Halen, Hoffer teacher walking down the the uh, the library uh, tables, as it were. In my mind, you were, I remember you walking backwards. Were you walking forward? Did both? Did both? Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> remember, um, remember correctly. Yeah, I'm glad my job isn't the pressure to look cool. That that would be <laughs> be too much for me. Oh, well, um, yeah, and, and that's also one of my favorite guitar solos on the album. It, for just coming from a guitar player perspective, um, I, I that of the nine songs to me felt like it was pretty raw and and uh, and I'm proud of it. So then the album comes out uh, July 9th, is it? Uh... Right. Yeah, we're, we're doing the the public release July 9th. Um, and we're we're hosting a party in downtown San Jose, or more of an event um, for the record release. So we, we've got uh, a killer band opening up for us. We're doing a, um, a night with a surf rock band. So they're going to kick off the night for us. But yeah, uh, on that date, the album will be available for sale. It'll be uh, streaming on all platforms. And uh, there's a ton of good songs outside of just the three singles that are on there. Yeah, I can't wait to actually hear the whole album because, I mean, it's interesting to see your guys' progression. And and you don't, but you can't really see the full progression of a band until you hear the next full album. So that's that's really what I'm looking forward to about the album myself. Yeah, the the 
this record lucida is definitely um it's a progression for the band 100 so the songwriting to me feels a, a bit more evolved than the first album and um there's other songs besides the three singles that we have um that just show different sides so for example uh there's a track called sparrow in the sun that's um predominantly acoustic so it, to me it, it feels more like something that could have existed on leds up on three um we have uh, a really heavy and when i say heavy i don't mean uh like deep guitars chugga chugga i mean more like um the the uh the the theme of the song is heavy and it's done in a in a, a six eight swing time um and it just it's one of these songs that starts off single guitar vocal um kind of solemn and it all it does is just keep progressing more and more and more with intensity until you get to the very end so then when it comes down to the songs like you you said nine songs are going to be on the albums did you did you have any um extra songs like or were these nine songs the obvious ones that made the cut we certainly we had songs between doing the first record and we we just continued writing and by the time we got to um doing pre-production for lucida i want to say it was december at the tail end of 2020 because i remember covid was happening but kind of um taking a turn for the better at that point and uh besides the nine songs we probably had maybe five others but really presented some of them to our producer and tim narducci uh and as a band along with our producer we just made a decision on on the best nine that were on there um but the band's been together for eight years i mean we've got We've got other material, but it, it, the other songs just didn't feel like they felt within the uh, the collection of these other nine that were the strongest. So then when it comes down to the songwriting, I mean, you talk about Ryan writing the lyrics. Does Ryan write the lyrics then for all the songs? He does. Yeah, 100%. He, he, uh, he has to believe in the things that he's singing, um, and he's actually really good at it. So I will say that... Um, I've worked with a few other singers. I've been doing this for more than 25 years. And uh, in his ability to either turn a phrase or or really just um, deliver a song with uh, metaphors to me is like it's it's never on the nose. Um, it's it's definitely more like trying to make you think about um, what he's driving at without literally saying it. And on top of that, his range is insane. <laughs> So he he on some of the tracks on the album he might sound more like like a softer maybe David Bowie type of uh, delivery and then on other tracks he he's just belting and opening up his voice um, and belting is one thing but you also have to write great melodies if you don't have great melodies then what's the purpose of singing loud um, and so I I commend him for it and I'm uh, really happy that he's the singer in my band. <laughs> Are, do you know ahead of time kind of the direction he's going to go in lyrically for a song or does it come back and you go whoa I didn't know he was going to go there um he, he well it just depends on how much of the song is completely done before he brings it to the band so sometimes he'll come in and uh and he's got you know like a verse maybe part of a chorus ready to go and he will um either deliver lines or he might even just kind of 
you know, mock or scat over certain areas where he maybe doesn't have a, a fully fleshed idea. Um, but certainly there's times when I have to actually wait for him to hand over the word doc so I can actually read through and go, oh, that's what that's what Ryan was singing there. I don't pretend to um, uh, know all the words to all the songs, but it is that is kind of a, a fun like resolution to the process once once you've completed a song is to then uh, really just understand what your singer. He doesn't hand over a document before presenting it to the guy saying, guys, here's my song. Take a read the lyrics. Let's go. It's it's definitely not that type of a procedure. I remember uh, I remember seeing a documentary years ago on the making of Pump with Aerosmith and yeah, the band, old band sitting there pushing Steven Tyler to go, go write lyrics, go write lyrics, and he doesn't want to be alone, and but he can't write them unless he's alone, you know. And he does, <laughs> but he doesn't want to leave the band, and he doesn't want to go write, and everybody's pushing him to go write and get frustrated with him. I mean, it doesn't sound like you have that kind of process. At least it sounds like. Like uh, everybody's pretty chill about the the whole kind of the, the organic way you're making the music. Yeah, or I could say you could be like David Lee Roth, and you, you've got to you know go sit in the back of your 1949 Mercury and just start panning out uh, lyrics on the fly, and and uh, you know being the urban street poet that he is. <laughs> Senorita. <laughs> Well, I mean, really, the go the goal always comes down to uh, to having people listen to it, and that's the, <laughs> and uh, there's one thing that David Lee Roth has done well: people have listened to his songs. Oh yeah, for sure, and definitely made you think about what the heck he was singing. Um, my wife uh, is from Sonora, Mexico, and English is her second language. And uh, sometimes when I have you know Van Halen, ACDC, whatever playing in the background. I hear her walk by and, and singing what she thinks is actually being sung, and uh, <laughs> they're hilarious. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll send you an email with some of my more favorite ones. But uh... <laughs> that sounds tremendous. Sounds tremendous. It's Valley of Fire Records that you've been with now. How long is it? Almost a year and a half in that range. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Uh, it's. It's well, actually no. Um, I think it started uh, January of this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or I might. Sorry, I might have my timelines off. Maybe it has been about a year and a half. Um, I'm trying to think back to when we did the first video. But it's so uh, mode to your point. It's been relatively recent. Uh, we were the first band signed to Valley of Fire Records. Um, it's a very smaller kind of local operation. Two guys that are super passionate about um the bay area music scene and that they the way they select bands has nothing to do with a certain style of music or we only do doom or we only do stoner rock or desert rock they basically will just accept anybody uh under their umbrella that they're passionate about and they think writes good music was there right now because i mean just just being listening to your videos, I mean, the next video that comes up is another Valley of Fire record, right? And so I, I kind of got lost a little bit in there, in the uh, the artist's catalog there from Valley of Fire. Really good stuff. What is the partnership being like in the time you've been with them then? It's really been tremendous in that, um, they, well, number one, they've been super hands-on. So um, a lot of times when we have ideas for promotions, or just need help in even trying to you know land certain gigs which 
you might think would fall under a band manager role. Um, they have done like their best effort really to give us a head start. And I, I probably hear from them at least once, if not three times a day. There's a little bit sometimes a break on the weekends, but um, no, they, they are basically they're they're more like friends with us at this moment. And um, I always feel like they have our best interest in mind. So I, I think the collaboration we have with them and the, the amount that we're willing to invest back into um, the label with trying to provide like good quality content, you know, great videos. I feel like is uh, is just really adding to our partnership. Was there ever a concern before you signed with them, the fact that you would be the first the first band on the on the label and that they were so small? <laughs> well, uh, uh, Brett, we definitely shopped. So we we I reached out. A few of us reached out to um, other record labels that were in the area, um, and and quite frankly, didn't get a whole lot of. Um, immediate response or interest and and when we heard that um our record producer was going to be putting together this this record label the the decision at that point was almost immediate because you already have someone who is passionate about the music his fingerprints are all over our tracks um and his production is phenomenal so when you already have someone who believes in what you're doing then you don't have to sell them on what your band is about or trying even trying to get a, a label to understand like what your band's mission statement is so um from that standpoint would never look back at this <laughs> with, with the results that we've gotten and uh the the collaboration and friendship to me it's just it's been uh tremendously rewarding that's good to hear we hear uh on this end, quite a few horror stories about labels <laughs> that bands are with and probably experienced one or two of those in their past as well. So I'm glad oh, to yeah. hear that you got, you got a strong, you know, partnership with them. Yeah, no, I, I was in a band signed to Sony Music EMI back in the early 2000s. And uh, it, it was like a five album or CD project. And it, it made its way past the first CD. I think we sold somewhere between... 30 to 50,000 units did videos, you know, television, radio, all that stuff. And then at the end of that first project, we're cut. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that's the thing, right? You can never know what they're thinking. You never know what they want. I I think so. Right. And, and, and boy, being a part of a, a smaller record label uh, is, is refreshing compared to being on a label like Sony EMI, where you, you'd walk into their offices and your, your A&R reps um, area, and you sometimes you would just see like a ledger or a chart that just showed all the bands that were on the roster, where they were tracking on sales, you know, views of videos. This is well before, um, you know, YouTube and, and uh, social media and things like that. It didn't exist. So it was very much um, kind of just cutthroat, revenue dollars and cents or this was in europe so i guess it would have been uh, pesos or euros <laughs> <laughs> you Still, have seen yeah. quite a few changes though in the music industry i guess though in your time then you mentioned 25 years it's hard to believe you look so young uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you know i i turned 55 this year but um and i'm 
so uh, proud of the time that I grew up in because um, our band's all about doing guitar-based rock. And so I was born in 1968. You know, my my first albums were like uh, ACDC, Dirty Deeds, um, Ted Nugent, Double Live Gonzo, Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2. Um, and and all of those, uh, that music was all centered around guitar heroes and, and people that could really, you know, kind of make statements with what they were doing uh, musically for guitar. Transition to today, you you know, you look at uh, the importance of, of guitar in in modern music and it's it's diminishing so i feel like my childhood and, and growing up when i did really is kind of the fuel for continuing to want to to write and produce guitar-based uh, rock music there's a lot of really good guitar-based rock music out there but you have to look for it it doesn't come to true you used to you know i mean you if you want to look for it and if you get on there and you you, you know you, you're willing to spend the time you'll find a lot of terrific bands but boy, it's not, it's just not on the radio in your face the way it used to be. Right. Yeah. It, and, um, and certainly the barrier for entry for, for bands is, is so different now because of, of the way um, record labels and, and the industry and the streaming industry really has kind of just changed the game in terms of how things get picked up algorithms, right. And, and how that plays into um, what people become you know aware of. But yeah, I I totally agree with you. I, I I have friends that just turn me on to bands I've never heard of before, um, where you just it's almost like by word of mouth or message boards, right, or social media. Um, and so uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It exists, but you got to hunt and peck for it. Yeah, and I, I think mean, what is it? Something like crazy, like a thousand artists a day are releasing new music every day on Spotify or something. Something just insane like that. Like you know, you gotta. I mean, it's 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 work for both the artists to get noticed and for the for the listeners to find the artists, you know. Um, eh, yeah, I, I missed MTV when they used to play music. <laughs> Seems so long ago now, but you know, and and also too, like when it comes to to guitar gods, I think that it's are people becoming guitar gods anymore? I mean, I know we still have some but but i think it's much harder to become like eddie van halen level respected now when you're you know just overall because I, because i think the the type of music doesn't hit the radio so of course it doesn't you know it doesn't hit the zeitgeist nearly as uh, as much as it did back then yeah i i totally agree um i guess the other way to look at it too is though if you started with you know something like Eddie Van Halen, who changed uh, all guitar rock in the late 70s. Um, and then everything kind of compounds on top of that. I'm not saying all the riddles have been solved, but th most of the players that are younger and excelling today are doing so because they've seen how it's done. They've seen it on YouTube. They've got, um, you know, things at their fingertips that people who are learning by ear or learning by just listening to records or actually going out and watching someone play live and trying to learn that way. I mean, it's um, the game was so much different in the early eighties of, of trying to, you know, uh, be the master of your instrument and, you know, try to try to do something different than the guitar gods before you. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. So what's your strategy oh, yeah. then? Oh, oh, go ahead, 
My strategy is is to definitely not be a guitar god. 100%. <laughs> I, you know, um, God, I was talking with someone the other day online, and they were talking about virtuous guitar players. And my reply to this uh, this line of questioning was like, I would much rather listen to uh, mediocre guitar riffs that are written around an, a very interesting, great song rather than speedy virtuoso riffs wrapped around a poorly written song. So I I definitely value songwriting uh, is paramount to me than what you can do on the guitar. So in other words, you're not listening to Ingve Malmsteen a lot. I did. I did back <laughs> in the day, but uh, I can only listen to so much of it. No, I um, <laughs> these days I, I really love um, listening to old yes and Genesis and um I'm not a huge progressive rock fan. I don't like dip into stuff much further than that, or even more more modern to today's progressive rock. But there's just something about the love and the craft they put around the songwriting and the lyrics back then that uh, is to, to me just speaks to me. So I that's that's where my head is at. So then, when it comes down to you know playing the guitar, especially on the album, like how many guitars do you use? when you play on an album do, do you have a favorite or do you have a couple that you just find give you the best sound i do um so i have uh a 1974 um gibson les paul custom that's been kind of my 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 mainstay for like the past uh 10 years or so so i did a lot of the basic tracking on lucida with with that guitar um i also have the 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 Stratocaster you see in Romantic Traffic video uh, was built by a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Hallbrook, who also builds the amps for our band. So um, talk about a great friend to have. <laughs> so, he, he's 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 an, uh, an electric electrical engineer um, by trade, but he started building um, these these amplifiers that were all kind of based on the old Plexi uh, Marshall Plexi late sixties um, schematic. Anyways, he built this guitar for me, and it's it's just a beautiful strat that's got one pickup uh from the 70s. And uh and I use that on a lot of solos. And then I have a few other guitars I won't go into, you know, they're they're uh, kind of similar. But our producer Tim just he had a, a bevy of old ES335 Gibsons, um, telecasters, and so what we would do is we would do all the primary bass guitar trackings on the Hallbrooks. And then on top of that, we would add uh, orange amplification. I think he had um, an angle or, or something along those lines. And just to get different flavors and to really just kind of round out not only the mix of a given song, but just even on the album, you want to have different sounds. Um, and then this guitar back here is a, is a, a 1969 Yamaha uh fg 300 and it it feels and plays like a hummingbird like a gibson hummingbird and that got tracked all over the album besides the acoustic songs i did you know just overdubs and parts and choruses and other things with that guitar what was the first guitar you owned first guitar was uh, a les paul copy from a, a company called memphis a lot of guitar players know memphis les pauls you just, you just kind of get that look like because they were <laughs> It, they were cheap. They were not easy to play. They would not stay in tune. 
Um, and I had that for like the first couple of years. And then my mom upgraded me to an Electra guitar. They were kind of like Arias. I think it was the same company. Um, but really that, that Les Paul was like the, the my, uh, 20th anniversary of 74 Les Paul was the, the first real guitar where I was like, yeah, I'm going to hold onto this forever. <laughs> nice. Like, I can't hear about somebody making a custom guitar or anything like that without thinking about our interview with George Lynch, where he was making a custom guitar while we were interviewing him. <laughs> the worst interview, one of my all-time favorite interviews, because it was the funniest thing ever, because, you know, I mean, he's making all this noise while he's answering questions, and he yeah. didn't stop between. <laughs> and, the, and, he, and he was spray painting the guitar as well, so he'd have oh to stick God. the mask on. <laughs> yeah, so he'd be answering with this mask on, sticking it, and we're like, it's George Lynch. I mean, we... For us, it was the greatest experience. For the listeners, it's probably the worst one we ever did. Oh, but shoot. For me, it was a great experience. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I watch a lot of George interviews, and you're right. He does seem to either be fiddling on a guitar or or doing something. I don't usually see him, like, focused into a camera and just talking about, uh, you know, the Doc and Days or Lynch Mob or whatever uh, he's working on next. Yeah, he strikes me as one of those people in there. And there are many of those people who who just, you know, and, and that's part of the reason that they're so good is because they don't they don't really put it down. Yeah. No, I, I've met him before. Um he he played at a club here where I live in town. And oddly enough, like five days later, I was walking through Old Town Sacramento and he was there. He was there walking around with his family and I I said uh, hello to him again, but I think his wife got annoyed by me very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. That's too bad. Have you had those conversations where you meet somebody who, you know, has kind of has a lot of status as a guitar player and you just sit down and talk guitar with them for as long as you can because you love it so much? I haven't had the chance to um, meet many of my heroes, although um you know, uh, we we recently got to open up for Tesla um, a few months back, and uh, and so that that was like one of the the best experiences we've ever had as a band uh, in terms of not only the size of the audience, but you're opening up for a a band that you, that I have a lot of respect for. I mean, just watching them them play that night, it was just one hit after another after another after another, and uh, but when I was sound checking. I have my Les Paul out, and uh, Frank just happened to be walking past uh, where we were set up, and I said, "Hey, Frank, check out check out my '74," and his, his blue eyes just lit up, and I, <laughs> I, I put my guitar in his hands, and he picked it up, and he was he was fiddling around on it, and then he gave it he gave it back to me, but then he immediately got on the phone and was calling his friend in Reno who owns uh, like a vintage guitar shop, and so he's asked Eric, "Hey, hold up," you know, he's asked me to hold the guitar taking pictures, sending it back <laughs> to the guy in Reno. And this is this is going back and forth. Meanwhile, our band has less than 15 minutes to sound check. And so I got, <laughs> I got, I got super excited about talking to Frank Hannon and it just would totally lost track of the fact that my entire band was waiting for me to uh, get my act together and get ready to, to um, put on the show. Oh come on! You know guitars are way more important than uh, than actual performance. I mean, what what are you a band or something? <laughs> well, you know our lead singer does play guitar, so I can't that's, knock that's right for being a yeah. lead singer. So he does carry equipment around. So uh, and the, and there you go. I mean, you you just they they become a threesome for a few minutes. 
<laughs> no, they, they, Tesla was was awesome. Uh, their their staff, their crew, um, their, their sound tech, uh, the captain Stephen spent he spent probably an hour and a half with us pre show, just holding court, telling stories, talking about the last thirty years, giving us advice, talking about what great opening bands do, what what are the horrible things that they do. Um, Trying to make us as nervous as possible before we went on stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I know that uh, Tesla is the band that we have seen the most as an yes. opening act. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like they they did such a good job at it all the time that I think every band, especially back in that uh, late '80s, early '90s, wanted to take them out. Yeah, and I, their music is just open to almost any kind of opening band I could think of because it doesn't matter whether you lean towards the heavier side or maybe you're just a band that's got more like ACDC type uh, songs or chops like the, the Tesla um, song catalog, you know, you know, from signs um, modern day cowboy all the way up to uh, some of the, like the uh, acoustic stuff. And they're just, their history to me is just, like impeccable <laughs> yeah I mean, they're a working man's band you know that's mm -hmm. how i look at them like that's one of the ultimate hard rock of working man band of you know their era yeah and they're also very proud of where they came from in sacramento and and i know that they're they're true to that area and try to help out bands that are in the area and uh they're not one of these these bands that just moved to la and you know became douchebags so then what's it no, like i, I kind of hope to someday move to la and become a douchebag though well, <laughs> i'm I mean, halfway there yeah, on your yeah, bucket yeah. list <laughs> you're working on it but uh just slowly yeah, but like say i'm halfway there what's it like then um you know what is the scene like in the bay area it's still thriving we we definitely have um many rock bands that are still writing original music performing live um in san francisco there's definitely much more of a club scene there um and there's also a different flavor of rock music and more indie and pop and uh but yeah it's it's definitely still thriving and when people say the bay area you know that even covers like east bay which is more like the oakland berkeley uh, martinez walnut creek area uh, versus San Francisco Bay, where there's there's definitely a lot of clubs, but yeah, and you'll never know who you'll meet. Um, just a couple of months ago, I was at a club in Walnut Creek, seeing my friends uh, Van Halen tribute band play at a club there, and then Brad Gillis shows up, and he's he's hanging out oh, nice. there, and ended up getting on stage and and you know playing uh, you know Don't Tell Me You Love Me and Crazy Train and a, and a few other tracks, and I, I met him afterwards. And I, I said, hey, uh, Brad, you were my second concert ever. First concert, ACDC Back in Black Tour at the Cow Palace when I was 12. And then second concert, Ozzy, Diary of a Madman. And you had just replaced Randy Rhodes. And and I and you were a, a huge inspiration after I saw you that night. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. And then he took off. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy, though. Yeah, he, he is a nice guy, but but I can I can see what you mean. I mean, so some people again, it's it's kind of like kind of like that whole uh, you you get a nice little interaction, but but their minds yeah. might not be at that moment. 
Yeah. Would I love to, you know, talk about guitar signal chains and types of wood and pickups? Of course, but you know, I don't want the police called on me or something. So <laughs> just get, get out there and uh, and start stalking these guys. So that you yeah. can talk about, uh, I just want to talk guitars, man. Come on, man. We know we both do the same thing, right? Yeah. You know, I, so, I saw her. Oh, go ahead, Brett. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no I saw an article that said that uh, Corvus Lore was the next Velvet Revolver. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> that or heard that. That that was an interview we did, um, or a singer did, for the promotion of Romantic Traffic, and uh, I think it was with Chris Aiken. I mean, it's a provocative title. I think he was just coming at it from the perspective of, of oh, you've got heavy, you know, guitar riffs. Do they sound like Slash? I don't know about that, but um, certainly he felt like Ryan, as a singer, kind of, uh, you know, could evoke. Scott Weiland-esque delivery if he needed to, but, you know, um, in change colors if the song calls for it. But um, I, I'll take that headline. Come on. Yeah, I, mean, I was curious, you know, is that, is that, again, is that a lot of pressure or is that a compliment or do you want to just forge your own path? But, I mean, you said you take it because uh, to me it is, you know, I mean, it's a little bit of everything for me, but uh, if I was in your shoes, but, you know, I mean, I think taking it, as as a cult a compliment is the best way to do it right yeah because um inevitably when you meet people and you, you play your music for them or maybe you don't meet them um they they really just you know they want to always draw comparisons i do it mm -hmm. so someone hears a band and then let's say you meet that band you're like oh yeah i really like this song it was kind of like you know uh you know megadeth or i heard you know a little bit of black crows in it like people inevitably want to draw on things that they know about because they know you're going to relate to it um as a a, a comparison that that's, that's it's interesting because i mean a song like hello sunday which i really like is oh, so cool. different than blind and broken i mean there's there <laughs> i mean both signals for you but very different songs you know yeah, and, that i'm glad you brought that up yeah that, that was definitely was one of the songs um, that I like, well, the, the guitar riff intro is pretty strong and strident. I you know, that part I love about it. The other thing, too, is that um, I think there's a vocal harmony that's going on through the entire song. So he sings that with our bass player, Mike Aneto. And um, that that song is definitely one that I, I think also crossed over to um, just females and, and to people that may not just only want to hear um, the heavier stuff. You know, it's just one of those good songs that gets in your head. You know, I mean, that, I think that's, that's got to be the ultimate goal for any, any band, no matter what type of music you're doing, create an earworm song. You know, I mean, it's got to be one of the hardest things to do, <laughs> if not the <laughs> hardest. But I mean, I, and that's the goal. You create that earworm song where they just, where it just can't get out of people's heads. And that's, you know, that's the success. Yeah. I, I'll take it. I, I, we've shared the stage with other bands and uh one one person came up to us and said yeah corvus laura i like i like your songs he said they're they're very um accessible and they're easy to understand where you're coming from so i just said great man i'm, I'm glad we didn't depress you or confuse you or <laughs> <laughs> 
you got it right away so <laughs> mission accomplished <laughs> now now that's that's a that's got to be the worst goal for a band is to be depressing and confuse people <laughs> maybe that's I'm, maybe I'm, we've seen some bands like, who've had success doing that oh yeah oh totally so. <laughs> <laughs> i say maybe that's our next band venture with the three of us here we start a band called depressing and confusing <laughs> well well i mean i think that uh you know with with martin's talent in mind then uh, then we should have no problem depressing and confusing people <laughs> Oh, we do it both, you know. I'm Very well. <laughs> Mo, if you have not successfully uh, made sure that somebody is depressed today, you've not done your job. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Some people want to make somebody smile every day. I'm just the opposite, you know. Misery loves company. <laughs> so then, uh, do you think that, uh, like, how soon do you think that you'd be working on another album? We're writing already, so... Um... Um, Lucida was done two and a half years ago, and so the the um, the charter for releasing the album was always going to be around doing singles. Um, I've I've met other bands that have released albums just on the day of, and let's be honest, a lot of it just happens over social media. So you'll see something on the socials that says, "Hey, our album's out. Go check it out." Some people might listen to the first track, maybe the second one, or just skip around. And they're done with it, whether they connect with it or not. I know bands that put out full albums that never even do video support. And so I think with the singles that we've selected and, and the videos we've produced, I'm hoping that we've captured enough interest with those that someone might actually take the time to go, oh, there's six other songs. Let's go listen to them right now. I mean, even Extreme just kind of did that same exact strategy. I, I believe they're album six has been done for quite some time but they've done four videos now for it and now the album is released mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are you constantly having ideas for songs coming into your head or are they you know is it something kind of that you're uh that you have to sit down and work at i definitely um writing songs with a band is um something that corvus lord definitely has has forced me to become better at. I'll just put it that way. Um, for a large stretch of my guitar history, it was more about just being somebody who's accompanying a band or doing covers and tributes. I've done all that stuff. But when you're writing things that are your own, um, it's it's definitely more challenging. At least for me, it is. And so with Ryan being a guitar player, you know, he, he'll come to, come at me with uh, with an idea. And the other thing with with the way he um, write songs is they're always in funky tunings always <laughs> like sometimes they're standard tuning but a lot of times it's like eh, eric this is dead yeah but the b strings down to a g and the a strings this way and and so what i did as a as a guitar player was to learn them all in standard tuning and then write all my parts to accompany his funky tunings in standard tuning so no matter what happens no matter if you got a gig and you break a string on the guitar that's got special tuning it doesn't matter because you're ready for anything when you've learned things that translate across standard tuning. Um, so yeah, but I, if I do have guitar riffs, um, you know, I just break out my iPhone and bring up voice memos and just try to capture it um, that way. And then, and then present it to the band and see what they think and see if anybody can, you know, just make it better or augment on it. And then uh, before we let you go, um, how difficult is it to create a solo? <laughs> Oh man. Um, well, one of one of my favorite ones 
I talked about um, romantic traffic a little bit, but still boxing ballerina for some reason, um, I, people, friends of mine will come up to me and say, oh, I, I really liked that guitar solo. I've heard from other bands that have just the most shredding, shredding guitar players come up to me and say, I like that, you know, the solo spot that you did there. And I said, well, I, the way I came up with it really, or came about arriving at it was I took the the piece of music that I wrote underneath it. And then I just put on a loop and I wasn't holding my guitar. I just started humming and I started singing melodies. The first thing that came to my to my mind and then thinking about how could I craft that or translate it to guitar. So that little motif that I'm doing there is just something that I kind of hummed out and then figured out how to do it on guitar. Yeah, that's very interesting. Is that you would that be typical or is that just kind of like the once that you'll that you do that? No, it was it was it's not typical for every solo. Um, because there, there's there's some that I have um planned out where I just work it out 100 percent ahead of time. And then others where I just I want to not just speak from the gut and just improvise on the fly, but really think about the chord changes and what's happening in the song and try to say something. Like when I was uh, doing Blind and Broken, that whole section, that whole solo section is built on one chord. It's on A flat major. That whole And so what I wanted to do with the guitar solo accompaniment was just do long stretches, let it breathe, and then try to build up the intensity a little bit as I'm, as I'm making my way out of it. So I'm, I'm trying to think about the whole song, not just about, you know, uh, what can I do on guitar? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting to hear the psychology behind it you know <laughs> because there is there is a psychology behind it it's, yeah. it's part i mean we hear some people that they are all feel some people who are all analytical and i guess mm-hmm. there's no right way to create art whatever is your process is is comfortable for you is the way exactly. to exactly yeah that's a good way to put it awesome well, well, this is, I, I really hope everybody checks out you know the music uh, like i say i I think Blind and Broken is that's a hell of a, you should be damn proud of that one. And you should be damn <laughs> proud of all of them. They're all good, but uh, I really think that's the one. People hear that, they're going to be like, I got to hear more of this group. Uh, I think that's I think that's the one. So I mean, okay, I well, I'm going to I'm going to take the best of success. You're going to be the next <laughs> quote then on our webpage. We're going to get rid of the Velvet Revolver. I'm going to say Mo says out of this track that's that's right it, it is so check out all the music videos check out that track i mean i hope people really do uh take the time from listening to you uh you know in this interview and uh and check it out uh, obviously we'll put we'll put the line of broken on at the end here so people can hear it and uh but we want to give you the opportunity to to promote yourself here and tell everybody where they can keep up with you and the group and everything you got going on yeah, so um, definitely uh, come over to CorvusLaura.com. That has the links to all of our videos, um, any upcoming shows. And uh, you can hit us up on Instagram at CorvusLaura. Um, we're also on Facebook and TikTok as well. Um, yeah, so I'd be really excited to see uh, anybody at our shows. And uh, really thank you for your time today. So, well, we had a good time. And uh, and I know we love talking music, so... So we look forward to talking to you again sometime, and we certainly look forward to listening to the album. But uh, Eric, we wish you nothing but the best in the future, and uh, and we will talk soon. Thanks, Brett and Mo. Nice to meet you. Thanks, and you too.
Thank you. Yep. Bye for now. Bye. Zoom. Mm-hmm.